Today we're starting a brand new series on habits, habits for life, habits with Jesus. And so we're looking at habits and we've all got them, right? We've got the good, the bad, the ugly, the things that we struggle with in all kinds of forms, right? We have habits that we, yes, I am thankful I have that. I have it solidified. And then we have those that we're like, I need to get rid of that or even those that's like, ooh, I probably should be doing. Because habits, habits are those things that we do every day on a consistent basis that actually build our life. They actually give us guidance. They are the things that make us who we are. And so the habits that we have are so very important. And so to better understand the things, the habits we need for our life, we can look to the habits of Jesus to kind of give us a sense about what do we need? What do we need to be thinking about? How can we, as we are looking for a life that is thriving, a life that is built upon this connection with God, that this life that moves us into a realm of love that helps us to thrive not only with ourselves, but with everyone around us. And so for today of kicking off this series, we're going to actually be looking at prayer. And you may be going, wait a minute, didn't you just talk about prayer? Didn't you just do a series? And yes, yes, I did. But today, looking at it from this angle with the different passages about Jesus, it's going to give us a little bit more, a little bit more meat on the bones of how to think about it in different ways, how to think about it as a habit and why that might be significant for ourselves and for everyone around us. And so for today, as we begin, we're going to look at a few different stories of Jesus about where he is actually praying. He has, we have plenty of teachings of where he says, and when you pray, or here's how, or parables that kind of incorporate it. But today we are looking at specifically where Jesus is praying and how that impacts not only himself, but everyone around. And so join me in looking at and starting with Luke, the third chapter, verses 21 through 22. When everyone was being baptized, Jesus also was baptized. While he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven. You are my son whom I dearly love and you I find happiness. So this story comes, it's uh, connected to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is credited with being the one who baptizes Jesus. He is the one who comes before Jesus and is preparing the way or preparing the people for something different, preparing the people for Jesus. John the Baptist is also said to be Jesus' cousin. And so there are these connections here. And this baptism comes at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, right before he heads out into the wilderness for the next 40 days, which is just a complete time. But here we've got it. He comes to John. He says, hey, John, I want to be baptized. John's like, why? I should be baptized by you. Baptism at this time was one of those common practices of the first century. It was meant to cleanse. 
And so here, Jesus is like, no, I want to be part of this. I want to show. I want to live. Baptize me. So John says, oh, okay, that's what you want. And here, Jesus is baptized. And as he is in the water, he prays. Now, we don't know exactly what he's saying, but he is praying. He is conversing with God. And sometimes we think of prayer as this conversation with God that sometimes maybe it feels one way, but Jesus is giving us something more in this moment of just having a conversation with God because here comes the imagery of the dove comes down and then a voice from heaven says, you are my son whom I dearly love and you I find happiness. In this moment, we get a sense that this prayer is an experience. It's an experience of God. It's an experience of God's love. It's an experience of, in you I find happiness. In you I claim. In you I find joy. And so in this moment, we get another aspect of prayer and how important it is to begin thinking about how this conversation isn't just words, but it becomes an experience, an experience of God's love, an experience of something outside of ourselves, an experience, an experience that gives us, begins to give us a sense of who we are. Continuing on in Mark 1, 32 through 38. That evening at sunset, people brought to Jesus those who were sick or demon-possessed. The whole town gathered near the door. He healed many who were sick with all kinds of diseases, and he threw out many demons. But he didn't let the demons speak because they recognized him. Early in the morning, well before sunrise... Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. Simon and those with him tracked him down. When they found him, they told him, everyone's looking for you. He replied, let's head in the other direction to the nearby villages so that I can preach there too. So here Jesus is, he's busy. He's got work to do. He is healing. He is helping. He is with the people. Right? He is living the life of helping others. And that life can be tiring. It can be draining. It can be where it feels like people's stuff just keeps piling on. And here we find Jesus in the midst of the work, in the busyness. He gets up early in the morning. Right? He, early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. Even though Jesus is very busy, even though Jesus has a lot of work to do, in fact, his work really is never done because there are more and more people who are like, we need healing, we need help in all kinds of ways. He carves out a bit of time. He carves out this space to go alone and pray, to converse with God, to experience God, to be in relationship with God. Jesus is cultivating that relationship. He is making the time for it. And when he does, because the disciples are always going to find him, like he's like, okay, I got like five minutes. 
minutes, and the disciples come and find them. It's kind of like a kid, right, where the mother may just for a moment disappear to the bathroom or something, and the kid's like, nope, knock, 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 nope, uh, uh, where are you? The disciples are always going to find Jesus, and they do. And they say, hey, wait a minute, all of us are looking for you. We need you, we need you, we need you. And Jesus is like, okay, let's go. And to understand the importance of carving out that time, of carving out that little bit of space with God, that it isn't just about ourselves getting a breath, but instead it's cultivating a relationship that then has his response to others. That when we are carving out space with God, when we are carving out time to be in conversation with God, it begins to impact those around us by the way we are then able to respond. Jesus is able to respond to the needs because of the time that he carves out, the moments that he says, oh, wait a minute, i got to remove myself from this situation. I've got to go talk to God about this. I've got to go have this experience. I've got to go make sure that I am being grounded in the presence of God. That way, then, then I can respond. Then I can say easily, when they're like, everybody's looking for you, he doesn't go, well, get away. Like, I need a minute. Like, leave me alone. No, his response is, let's head in another direction to the nearby villages so that I can preach there too. So it begins to be this sense, right, that when he's carving it out, He's able to respond in ways that are life-giving because he has received life. He has received strength. He has received energy. He has received something in that experiencing that habit of making time to pray that he is able then to respond differently to those around him. Continuing on. Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. Some people brought children to Jesus so that he would place his hands on them and pray. But the disciples scolded them. Allow the children to come to me, Jesus said. Don't forbid them, because the kingdom of heaven belongs to people like these children. Then he blessed the children and went away from there. So often we think about prayer as this individual act, which it is an individual act, but here Jesus gives us yet another step in it, yet another aspect of understanding prayer, and this time it is praying not just for, but alongside the people, and it doesn't matter what age. He's like, no, bring the kids, all ages. And so this sense that we may pray very privately, which is an aspect of prayer. But here Jesus is like, and we also pray alongside one another. We also pray as a community. So not only do we do something individually, but we do it collectively. And it begins to challenge our understanding of one another. It begins to give us new perceptions of each other, right? Because the disciples are like, wait, no, no, they don't count. And Jesus is like, hold up there. We get to pray alongside each other. 
It doesn't matter where we came from. It doesn't matter our age. doesn't matter our status. It doesn't matter. We are to pray alongside one another. And so to begin to think about the times that we are praying alongside one another, that it is meant to be an encouragement to one another and to be able to experience God with one another, not just individually, but collectively. It's kind of interesting to think about how that begins to work, and especially over the thousands of years. Throughout my travels, I would at times visit churches, whether they were the great cathedrals in Europe or smaller churches that had been around for hundreds, centuries, and even a millennium. They had been present, and throughout the generations, people had prayed, and sometimes I would walk into a place, and there was this presence of peace. There was this different feeling, experience of the place, because for generations, for hundreds of years, people had been praying collectively. People had been coming to this place of trying to engage together in experiencing God. And so the place felt different. Now, it's not been every place I've visited, but in many places. And to think about that, that not only had these prayers that have been said for hundreds of years, this collective experience of engaging with, trying to experience God, not only was it powerful for the people of those times, but it has now come forward through the generations that Praying, that habit of prayer not, is, is just not individual and isn't just communal, but it begins to go out and go forward for the ages to come, for the future generations. That it gives this sense of moving forward into the world, of going, God is with us. We bring everything we have and God is moving us forward, and that experience is for all of us throughout all of the ages. Continuing on in Luke, the ninth chapter, verses 18 through 23 and verses 28 through 29. Once when Jesus was praying by himself, the disciples joined him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, eh, John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others that one of the ancient prophets has come back to life. He asked them, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ sent from God. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell this to anyone. He said, the human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and legal experts, and be killed and be raised on the third day. Jesus said to everyone, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. About eight days after Jesus said these things, he took Peter, John, and James and went up the mountain to pray. So Jesus here, again, a communal aspect, but it begins with that prayer. He is praying. The disciples find him. Maybe they were standing around while he was praying. 
And he notices. He's like, wait a minute, who do you guys think I am? And here a connection is made between prayer and identity. That prayer, that connection with God, that digging deeper into that relationship, that understanding of who we are is connected to engaging with God, experiencing God in conversation. And we actually saw in the previous verses that we write at the beginning, right, where Jesus goes and is baptized and God claims Jesus, this is my son in whom I dearly love, I find great happiness, right? It's this sense that prayer helps give us an understanding of who we are and who we are in relation to others. That when we are basing our life, when we have this habit, when we are basing our life upon God, a God who has created us in love for joy and peace. Hear that again. We have been created in love for joy and peace. And that when we begin to engage in prayer in that manner, when we make that a habit, when we are like, wait a minute, I need to experience that. I need to fully understand that. I need to be guided in what that actually means. It begins to change who we are and who we are with others. It's kind of interesting to think about identity because right now that's a big question for many. Who am I? Who am I in relation to others? Which is belonging so many people struggle with, do we belong? Where do I belong? How do I belong? And that's a question of identity. And even if we asked, right, those closest to us, maybe family, friends, and said, okay, who do you say that I am? And who am I in relation to you? We'd get a variety of answers, wouldn't we? We'd get all kinds, and maybe we'd get some nice surprises like, oh, well, I didn't realize that. That's really cool. I, I really like that. And if we were like, no, no, I want you to be fully honest, we might hear some things that it's like, ooh, I don't like that about who I am, that that's part of my identity with you, right? A variety of always brings a smile rather negative of just that kindness and always being present or always worried, always the anxious one, always the doomsday. Or maybe we'd hear those things of, you were always patient, you were that presence, or you were the impatient. There was a lot of anger, a lot of hurt. You were full of joy. All kinds of things can be associated with our identity of who we are and who we are in relation to others. And if we begin to think about prayer as being a building block and that being foundational in understanding who we are and who we are with others of how we belong, maybe it begins to shift us. What if it does? What if it begins to shift how we begin to react, how we begin to engage with others? Because as we begin to focus down upon who am I God 
Who am I with God? Who has God called me to be? How does it work that our foundation of who we are and who we are with others is that we are all created in love for peace and joy? It's kind of interesting to think about that as our identity, to begin to practice. What if we wake up every single day, every single day, and say, okay, all right, what does it mean for the way I act today? What if I start with, how am I going to embody joy? How am I going to embody that peace? How am I going to help me, oh God, to understand what it means. Help me, O oh God, to have the wisdom to live into it. Help me, O oh God, as I take that on this day. And that it's a habit, an everyday kind of practice. How does it begin to shape us, shift us, grow us, change us, transform our very lives and understanding of who we are and who we are with others. Finishing up in Mark 14, verses 32 through 41. Jesus and his disciples came to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to them, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. He began to feel despair and was anxious. He said to them, I'm very sad. It's as if I'm dying. Stay here and keep alert. Then he went a short distance farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if possible, he might be spared the time of suffering. He said, Abba, Father, for with you all things are possible. Take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Are you asleep? Couldn't you stay alert for one hour? Stay alert and pray so that you won't give in to temptation. The spirit is eager, but the flesh is weak. Again, he left them and prayed, repeating the same words. And again, when he came back, he found them sleeping. For they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know how to respond to him. He came a third time and said to them, Will you sleep and rest all night? That's enough. The time has come for the human one to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. So this time of prayer, this is very different than the other times because this time Jesus knows that pain is coming, that suffering is coming, and he doesn't want it, right? He's like, I want this taken. I do not want to suffer. And so we can feel the anxiousness. We can, feel the wor we can sense the worry in him. We can sense that, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? How many times have we been there? In this moment of prayer, of conversation with God, of experiencing God, Jesus is able to give over. He is speaking of his desires in complete 
vulnerability. And so it's this sense that prayer is a time for us to be completely vulnerable in all of our desires and all the things that we ache for in the way that we want our world to change. It's this sense that we are able to pour out everything to God, that we don't have to hold anything back about worrying about, well, what if, or I don't want anybody to think bad about. It's this sense of being so completely real and authentic on a level that we may not feel like we can do with others, not even our closest friends or family. It's this sense of being able to throw out those desires that in all vulnerability with God because we have a God of love. And what it also shows is that just because we have this habit of prayer, just because we're able to be vulnerable and just lay it all out on the line, it doesn't actually mean that life will all of a sudden become an easy button, that the pain's going to be removed. But instead, what it does show us, which Jesus is giving us a sense of here, is that Jesus is going to be able to live to the end through some awful things Jesus is going to be able to live who he is that is an identity that is founded in God to the end. That he is going to take those steps forward, those very painful steps, but he is going to be exactly who he is supposed to be. His identity, fully God and fully human, and that this habit of prayer makes it possible. That this habit of prayer helps him to persevere to the very end in who he is and who he is with everyone else, that he is one of love, that he is one of peace, that he is one of joy, that he is the one of beautiful transformation for all of us, for all of us. We may be created in love for peace and joy, whereas Jesus is love, peace, and joy. And in that prayer that he prays, he is able to persevere in that till the end. For every day of his life, and then of course there is the resurrection, which says love can't die. And so for us, when we are thinking about that habit of prayer, when we are thinking about how it's not just an individual act of that it is this communal thing, making sure we are setting aside space, we are setting aside time to experience God in ways that may be surprising to us, but also in ways that help us form our identity of ourselves and of others, that we get to be real and vulnerable in so that we may persevere through the entirety of our lives. Amen.